What's going on, traders? How we doing? Hope you guys are into bowling a strike today because we are not striking out. We're going to be getting some strikes with ISOS Bolero coming up soon, guys. Definitely stay tuned. We got an action-packed show. We're going to talk some headlines. We'll get into our good interview. And then, of course, we'll talk about some stocks from the chat. Let's go ahead and get this party started. And Welcome to the SPACs attack, baby. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. What's going on, Alex Cutler? Yes, we are seriously interviewing a bowling company today. So stay tuned, bro. Maybe you might learn something on him. Who knows? Let's go ahead and bring in my man, Chris Ketchy. What's going on, dude? Hey, what's going on, brother? How we doing? It's Wednesday. You know, yeah, excited for the interview. We're going to talk bowling. You know, this could be a reopening play, which we've heard so much about. Post-pandemic trade ideas. And then also, Mitch, we did have two deals announced today. Um, you know, fingers. keep them hot. Get them hot <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. And that's what we're going to dive into, you know, later on during the interview, right, is I have not been bowling myself in a little while. So I'm interested to hear, you know, the, the thesis here of how we're going to get people back to bowling alleys. They also have some, you know, I- expansion ideas, which I think is what my keys are, right? The, the media rights, uh, you know, talks of sports betting, and then maybe even monetizing their real estate, Mitch. I mean, that's something uh, companies used to do all the time to provide shareholder value. So uh, excited to get into that after um, headlines here. Smash that like a little. You guys already know. Definitely, definitely hit that like. You guys already know. We'll definitely be paying attention towards uh, some SPACs today. I want to get into the headlines quickly so we can touch the watch list before we get into the interview today. So I'm just going to throw us back to those headlines. All right. Yeah. So up first today, just want to draw attention to RTP. This is the company taking Joby Aviation Public. Joby Aviation completed a 150-mile flight recently. So that aircraft piloted from the ground from the chief test pilot, took off vertically before transitioning to forward flight. It did 11 laps, an hour and 17 minutes in the air, uh, covered a distance of 154.6 total miles. Um, You know, these EVTOL companies that are going public, that's the important thing, right, is getting these test flights done getting FAA clearance before they can get passengers in there. So keep an eye out RTP. Then we have VACQ. I highlighted this yesterday on the show that Rocket Lab um, was getting close to announcing their flight window. They announced uh, on Twitter they have uh, a flight window scheduled beginning July 29th. That is tomorrow. Um, Time I'm not sure on because uh, you remember this is a uh, company based over in Australia or New Zealand. So there is a chance that it could be, you know, in uh, based on those hours. Uh, so we might not get the live feed here during normal market hours, but keep an eye out VACQ tomorrow um, and the next couple of days with that possible flight window to get back on track here. And we had a, a SPAC deal announced not too long ago uh, for uh, Tritium. Uh, the SPAC is DCRN. Uh, they announced yesterday they're adding Palantir to the pipe on that existing SPAC deal. 
uh, again, you know, I, we had a SPAC deal yesterday with Palantir involved. Um, Palantir slowly, you know, actually more like fast now, uh, becoming one of the top names mentioned with SPAC pipes, um, getting pieces of these companies as they go public and expanding, um, you know, their data set going forward. Then we did have two deals approved yesterday. ROCC, which will now trade as RSVR in the next couple of days. I will note this one had 90% of shares redeemed at vote. Um, this was one that was trading below $10, saw heavy, heavy redemption. Um, be careful with this one because there will be a smaller float. So you could see that initial pop. But most of these ones with the heavy redemption ha have then come down um, a couple days after. So please, please, please be careful with this one. And then CAP deal approved as well. We'll trade as DOMA, D-O-M-A. I want to dive a little bit into ARC funds. We haven't talked about uh, Kathy Wood lately. But yesterday, some heavy, heavy buying. Um, it, it's been noted in the media that she has been selling the Chinese companies uh, held um, across those ETFs due to some restrictions there. Um, so heavy buying yesterday on a red day. So Open Door Technologies, O-P-E-N, which is one that she had been selling. She actually bought 1.1 million shares yesterday for ARC-F, uh, added uh, 407,000 shares to ARC-G, added more shares of Blade, B-L-D-E, to ARC-Q, uh, continued to buy uh, Coastal Ventures Acquisition 2, KVSB, which is taking Open Door public, and then also additional shares of DraftKings and Mark Forge holding uh, purchase. So uh, again, loading up yesterday on some of these DSPAC companies. Our deal yesterday, MACQ up 1.7% um, on that deal announcement. And, and then also want to point out uh, a stock to watch. We talked about it the other day. AVPT Avpoint, uh, Microsoft reported strong earnings yesterday. Great growth in that cloud business, um, but we'll get into Avpoint on our watch list. So our two deals today, we have uh, Queen's Gambit, GMBT, the SPAC named after the popular Netflix show and all-women-led team, uh, announcing a deal with Swivel, SWVL, a mass transit solutions company valued at $1.5 billion. This will be the first $1 billion-plus unicorn from the Middle East to list on the NASDAQ. So company says that they're uniquely positioned in a $1 trillion global market. Um, they see hitting $1 billion of gross revenue annually and expansion to 20 countries by 2025. Uh, again, mass transit system, intercity, intracity, business to business and business to government transportation. Um, you know, uh, they also have a, a track record, right? Uh, gross revenue up 430% from 2017 to 2020. That's a huge number. Um, they're going to do TAAS. So we hear so much about software as a service. They're going to do transportation as a service. Um, they see revenue uh, in fiscal 2021, this current fiscal year hitting $47 million and next year hitting $141 million. So keep an eye out, GMBT. And then our other deal from Apollo, SPAQ. This is uh, Aligo, a 
electric vehicle charging company based in Europe. So they're a leader um, in 12 countries over there. This deal valuing the company at $2.65 billion, a pipe of $150 million includes an investment from Fisker, which previously went public with an Apollo SPAC. So Algo has over 26,000 public charging ports, 12,000 locations, 12 European countries, uh, 733 fast chargers, 54 ultra fast chargers, uh, which makes them the leader in fast chargers in Europe. They provide solutions for both uh, public and private uh, companies. So they have partnerships with Nissan, Carefor, Shell, and McDonald's. Um, they cover light vehicles, vans, and electric trucks. They see the European market being uh, you know, twice the size of the U.S. in terms of electric vehicles. And, and with that being said, the charging market also growing faster over there. They have a backlog of 500 premium sites and an additional 500 sites in their pipeline, uh, including partnerships with Nissan and Shell to expand. Uh, gross margins, 29%, revenue of 50 million euro in 2020. Estimates of 86 million euro and 161 million euros in 2021 uh, and 2022, respectively. Uh, and charging revenue to grow 107% annually from 2021 to 2026. Last check, shares were up about 2%. Again, that's SPAQ. Mitch, that's what I've got for headlines, those two deals. Um I know you want to get into the watch list. Any thoughts on uh, uh, Kathy Wood, you know, getting rid of those Chinese stocks and then loading up on some of these, uh, you know, usual SPAC companies and also Open Door, you know, that was one she was selling. And, and now it looks like a, a change of heart and getting back into that one pretty heavily yesterday, 1.1 million shares. Yeah, I mean, what can I say? Kathy likes to dip by. <laughs> That's what I would definitely say. And she, she wants out dips. of China. So yesterday was the perfect storm, right? Sell yeah. all your Chinese companies and buy the dip, right? She, buy the dip. Exactly. She had it. She had it all set and all planned out. I mean, you can just look at the door, the open door stock, and it's just right off of that 14 level, giving her an ability to at least measure her risk underneath it and getting an entry right off of uh, long-term support. So I think she went after that support, probably got somewhere in between, I don't know, 1425s, 1450s. We can take a look at her entries all added up, but it's going to be something to watch in the next couple of days. With that being said, keep your eyes on Zillow to see if that kind of moves also with open, giving you that that kind of leading mentality that you'll see that uh, open kind of follow. Um, with that being said, of course, there's some other SPACs that could move in the long term. I think uh, I'm still waiting for the day that SPNV gets above $10. So I'll let you guys know if that one wants to make a move. But um, this one's been trading sideways for a long time, um, has an offer pad uh, company for the real estate. We'll see if that one kind of moves. What are the ones you think can move, Chris, based off of that real estate? Yeah, I mean, I think those are the two big ones, Open Door and uh, SPNF. Of course, Zillow is the the non-SPAC one. Um, you know, really targeting the the online real estate market. Uh, Mitch, I, I think you covered on Money Mitch last night. Microsoft had earnings, right? The strong cloud growth once again. Yes. And, and yet today, I don't know what Microsoft is doing. Last check, but I saw Avpoint, A V P T 
shares down 3.5% earlier today. It looks like we're down about 2% now. You know, I'm a little surprised um, because I think this is a pair trade, right? And if Microsoft saw, you know, strong relationships with its businesses and strong cloud growth, I have to believe that Avpoint is going to say the same on their next report. But again, that's just my, my thought process here. Not definitely not a bad one to watch uh, just to confirm earnings after um, it's going to be after the market close on the August 10th. So uh, coming up soon, guys, definitely stay tuned to that. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and do what we do best. Let's get into the time where we unlock some specs. Yes, yes, guys. Up next, we'll be getting into our interview with Brett Parker. Um, Let's go ahead and let's unlock this spec and, and get right into it. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and knock us out. All right, guys. Yeah, super excited. Another exclusive interview here on SPAX Attack. Joining us on the show, we have Brett Parker, the president and chief financial officer of Bolero. That company going public via SPAC merger with ISIS Acquisition Corp, ticker ISOS. New company will trade with the ticker B-O-W-L once that SPAC deal is finalized. Welcome to SPAC's Attack, Brett. Thanks, Chris and Mitch. How are, how are you guys doing today? Doing, hey, doing ready, great. Ready ready to knock out a strike and not a split. So let's go ahead. Let's knock this out. Chris <laughs> can do some questions of his and I'll be back with some of my own. Great. Talk soon. All right, perfect. So, so Brett, you know, SPACs attack here. We talk all things SPACs and, and D-SPACs. First question I, I've got to ask is, you know, why the decision to to go public via SPAC and was Bolero also considering a traditional IPO? Sure. So, you know, we really had all possibilities in front of us um, and no real need to do anything. So I think one of the things that's a really important differentiator between us and many of the companies that you're seeing go public via SPAC is that we have a 25 year history of continuous growth and profitability. And we've generated more than enough cash to support our own growth over that period of time. So, you know, we're not in a position where we're a pre-revenue company sitting here needing to raise a whole pile of cash and have to find the right way to the market to do that. This was really purely opportunistic. And, you know, we were looking ahead and, and looking at market conditions and, and we weighed the pros and cons of, of traditional IV, IPO versus back. And to be honest, they were fairly close on their face economically. Um, but the SPAC market was, you know, hot and seemed to have good momentum and had some kickers in terms of being able to demonstrate projections, et cetera. And we decided to go that way. Perfect. So, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people are familiar with with bowling alleys across the U.S., but it's a highly fragmented industry. So Bolero owns the namesake Bolero brand, also AMF and some others. Can you just walk us through, you know, how does Bolero position itself as the market leader in this industry? What brands uh, and how does the makeup across the U.S. kind of look like? Sure. So we're, you know, far and away the largest operator with, uh, call it 320 locations nationally. Uh, But that represents, you know, 8% or so of the total market. So it is, as you say, highly fragmented. So 
the brands that you've got up here on the screen, Bullmore and Bolero are essentially the same and will merge under the Bolero brand. So you'll ultimately see the Bolero flag as the experiential locations, and then the AMF flag as the more sport-oriented locations. But you know, the fragmentation of the industry for us is a core part of our opportunity set. So unlike many location-based entertainment companies, and frankly, any of the large players that are out there, we have the ability to grow through acquisition, and we've demonstrated that. And the returns in, in growing that way and the predictability in growing that way are dramatically higher than if you have to start from scratch um, and try to build a chain, as it were. So, you know, that that to us is a is a huge advantage. So walk us through a little bit the the bowling market. So I see an addressable market size of four point five billion dollars for for the U.S. alone, and that's grown fifty percent over the last ten years. And, and also, I was surprised to learn that bowling is the largest participatory sport in the U.S. Um, you know, that's a pretty fascinating stat. Uh, walk us through the growth of bowling and maybe how you see it coming back after the pandemic, uh, you know, subsides here. Sure. So, you know, bowling is a bedrock American activity. It always has been. Um, it was, you know, very much a part of the fabric of society in the late 50s and 60s when many of the bowling centers got built. And you had sort of the blue collar revolution in this country that supported um, a league bowling oriented model. And then, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you saw some of that stuff uh, start to fall into disrepair. And the bowling industry wasn't sort of front of mind for a lot of folks. And then in the late 90s, uh, with the acquisition of the original Bullmore Lanes in Union Square, our founder and CEO, Tom Shannon, really invented experiential bowling as a new industry and essentially took the same concept that Howard Schultz applied to coffee, which was that you know coffee in America was viewed as this ubiquitous thing that was everywhere and everyone consumed it and it cost basically the same price and it came in a styrofoam cup and it was very low content and it wasn't interesting. And he said, you know, the Europeans have a different view and we can model that view and we can add value to the experience and we can create a very valuable enterprise in so doing. And you know, we we applied that that same thought process to bowling. We took the core activity, which is something that is not gender specific, it's not age specific. You don't have to be good at it to have a good time. And instead of wrapping it up in in a in a experience of deprivation, we wrapped it up in an experience of high service, good food and beverage quality, good audiovisual, good lighting, like all the things that it takes to make a more dynamic. An interesting experience, and we made bowling relevant to, you know, the the modern consumer again. And that's where you've seen since then to now this this growth in the industry, which you know, frankly, a lot of that growth has been our growth. Um, but there's growth in in other people as well. And what what those folks are doing, um, and what we're doing is is bringing you know a whole new set of customers back to bowling. So then. You know, the second part of your question with respect to COVID, um, the good news is there's really nothing for us to do. Uh, the, the guests have come roaring back. Uh, we, beginning in May, we crossed having done 100% of the revenue that we were doing pre-pandemic on a bi-week basis. And we've continued to build momentum 
I think the low, highest week, well, the most recent week we reported was 113% of the pre-pandemic revenues. So what we've seen is a, a, a massively enthusiastic return to the centers, particularly driven by the retail consumers, you know, people wanting to just get out and have a good time and eat and drink and, you know, enjoy their friends and family. And we're exactly the kind of place that people can, you know, come together and do that. So, you know, now as we look ahead into the fall, as we expect the corporate business to rebound, which has historically been a big part of our business, particularly in urban markets, uh, and, you know, the leagues are able to fully floor in the fall, you know, we, there's, you know, very positive um, expectations as far as what the business will do. And that's why we're looking ahead to 2022 numbers of uh, 859 million in revenue and 275 million of EBITDA. Awesome. So, you know, outside of just owning the, the bowling alleys, uh, Bolero acquired the Professional Bowlers Association in 2019. And, and with that comes, you know, the media rights for the league, uh, a deal with Fox Corp, um, and actually some pretty strong viewership numbers uh, during the pandemic for the PBA. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the decision to acquire PBA and the growth that it has seen uh, since the acquisition? Sure. So, you know, acquiring the PBA was a really interesting thing for us because it, it, it gave us essentially a two-pronged value creation engine. One being that this was sort of a sleepy media property that had existed for a long time. You know, it's been around since the 50s, been on TV consistently throughout, <clears throat> but never been massively profitable. Um, and we thought we could make it meaningfully profitable as a standalone enterprise. But then also, obviously, as a value creation engine partnered up with the core bowling business, we have the opportunity to drive viewership, which creates increased interest in bowling, which helps us drive guests, which we can then convert to viewers, as you've got there now, right? So that that value creation cycle just continues to churn. So, you know, we can create dollars in a lot of different ways. And, you know, we, heading into the pandemic, we had already built, you know, a, a much higher level of content uh, around the product. So we added some technology. We have a strike track powered by Kia that, you know, looks like if you watch pro golf and you can see the flight of the ball, that sort of thing. So you can track the shots. Um, you know, we've got better talent on air, just higher production quality, more cameras, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's come together into a better product. So we actually were able to grow viewership. We had our highest ever year of viewership over 23 million viewers last year in the midst of the pandemic. And that was despite, you know, having to significantly change our schedule, no uh, fans in the audience, right? All those sort of challenges that all the sports had. But while most sports saw their viewership fall, we saw ours rise. So, you know, that gained us a lot of goodwill um, with our partners, both on the production or um, distribution side and on the sponsorship side. <clears throat> so... You know, it was a, it was a big win for us, and and you know we're into our summer tour now, and we're we're looking ahead to the fall, and I think we're going to have another big season. Yeah, you know that's awesome to hear. You know that viewership grew, um, and also that wasn't something I thought about. That yeah, you know bowling didn't have to worry about you know these these massive stadiums with all the the fans in attendance, the logistics of that. So you know the show must go on, and, and people tuned in to the PBA. 
in that same right with the media division, you know, in the presentation, there's also talks of a show coming to Netflix and a CBS pilot um, centered on someone uh, seeking to be a professional bowler. Uh, can you talk a little bit about these shows and how it could lead to, you know, growth for the overall bowling industry and for your company? Sure. So the the CBS show we have, we're not involved in. Um, it's just a, a happy coincidence that it's happening. Um, it's focused on a guy named Tom Smallwood, who is one of our PBA bowlers, um, who's got a really interesting story. You know, he was working in an auto plant in uh, the Midwest in the financial crisis, lost his job there and said, you know, this is the time for me to go and see if I can make a run of it as a bowler. Um, and he has, and he's, you know, pretty funny sort of old school Midwestern guy. And, and, uh, you know, I think, I think the show's got a chance, um, to be, to be quite entertaining. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. And then on the documentary side, you know, we're considering doing something around the history of the PBA, which to some extent tracks the, the history that I described of bowling, where it was, you know, this sort of very mainstream, I won't say upscale, but, you know, very much within the consideration set for, for, for folks with money to spend, and then had this sort of period of becoming a little bit more granular as it were. And then, you know, rising back again, um, to, to a period of prestige. And, you know, I, I would expect that same sort of a, a story to come through with respect to the PBA. Awesome. And I think, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, the benefit of those shows is not not dissimilar from the benefit of the PBA. So, I mean, the PBA gives us, we do 70 hours a year of first run linear programming. We get multiples of that, could be as many as 700 hours in total when you think about um, the number of re-airs that we get on FS1, FS2. Um, but, you know, that exposure is tremendous for us and for bowling. And, and these shows would have, you know, a similar impact. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, that that could help the overall bowling industry with, with growth. Um, uh, another area of focus in, in the growth uh, presentation is gaming. So mm -hmm. we've had, you know, some mobile games launched, a partnership with Skills. Um, can you talk a little bit about how Bolero is using gaming to grow through the mobile apps and also through the, the retail locations uh, with gaming inside uh, of the centers? Sure. So, you know, those, those being two sort of separate things. So first thinking about uh, the skills game, right. And that, that sort of out of center on your phone experience, what that like, similar to the PBA, again, two factors uh, that we can participate in economically. One is, you know, with our partners at skills, obviously we're, you know, participating in a per sign up and per dollar sort of um, part participation, but that's that's not where the lion's share of the dollars for us are. The lion's share of the dollars are that the prizes that folks win in the freemium version, and in some cases in the premium version, in addition to cash prizes, uh, are basically winbacks. Um, so they get you know a free game of bowling at one of our centers a free game car, this sort of thing. So we use those games to drive engagement with our brand uh, at a name level where it's, you know, strike by Bolero, but then it's also at a real uh, action oriented level where we're driving people into the centers with the things they're winning in those games. 
so so that's that's been you know very interesting. We also, we actually also just announced um, a handful of days ago a deal with Play Studios um, that's very similar in terms of people being able to select prizes uh, that are in our centers. So again, using other people's online audiences to drive offline traffic for us. So so that's been great. And then in terms of the in-center gaming, you know that's um, that's more nascent in that we're in the process of figuring out the the details of exactly how that'll work on a state by state basis because it's you know regulated activity but we did launch uh, a, a product called the rumble earlier this year which was essentially a test case for two things one that we could drive increased engagement by getting people to have the opportunity to win prizes based on their bowling and two, just that the tech could work and we could pull the scores down in real time and make sure that we could really track and validate the performance of the bowlers. And that was very successful in both cases. We had over 5,000 signups for the, ter- the tournament globally. Uh, they bowled 35,000 games, I think it was, and almost 19,000 hours in our centers in a three-week period, which is just a mind-boggling level of recurrence. Um, for us in terms of getting getting people in and the tech worked. So what that's done is, is demonstrate to us that the backbone exists that allows us to, to get to a place where you can bet on your own performance, right? Based on your next ball, your game, whatever it is going to be. Um, and since that's a, you know, it's a game of skill, it's, it's, much easier from a regulatory standpoint than game of chance. So, you know, like I say, we're working through that, but we think that's a, a really unique thing that we can do to drive engagement with our business and to help us to, to compete for, you know, the general leisure dollar. Yeah, definitely. And then we've got to talk, you know, sports betting overall. It's mm-hmm. mentioned in the presentation an existing partnership with Fox Bet. Of course, Fox, you know, the partner on the media with the PBA. So you have the ownership of PBA, which can be monetized, you know, for sports betting and then also your your own uh, retail locations. How, how what is the strategy for Bolero going forward, um, you know, in the sports betting market? So there's there's two main parts to that. Number one, as you mentioned, with respect to the, the betting on the PBA, we've got the partnership in place with Foxbet. Um, we would like to significantly enhance that. Um, we're, we're in the process of working with some of the data validation partners that sit in the middle um, and allow you to take more bets because as a stop-start sport, Bowling has the propensity for a huge number of bets, much like football, because you can prop bet everything that's about to happen. So right now, the the data integrations are relatively slow. So Fox takes bets on a per show basis, essentially who's going to win that stepladder tournament. Um, but you know that could very easily come down to the game, to the set, or to the um, frame, and then to the ball. Right. So so there's a huge number of opportunities there. And, you know, we anticipate widening that out substantially over time um, as we stand up the technology that we proved out in the Rumble tournament. Then number two, general sports betting 
you know, obviously is, is something that's gotten huge traction and the adoption nationally is increasing significantly. And we have a, a large number of these, you know, bar and restaurant spaces in our centers that are an opportunity for people to, to have a physical place to do that online betting. So we've already partnered with um, BetterView, which is a company that puts uh, monitors in that show odds and um, results and schedules and all the things you know you need. And then it also um, carries marketing banners. For Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. A little more flexible. They've given us some better windows um, NFL adjacent windows rather than NFL competitive windows that have allowed us, um, to improve the business. And we appreciate that. And, you know, I think that there's absolutely room to run in terms of viewership, whether it's, you know, long-term sticking with Fox or, you know, moving to another network. I, I don't think it's so much network dependent. I think it's really a matter of making sure that we get a deal that gives us the exposure to the right people at the right time. Um, so that we can drive viewership and create value. Definitely something to definitely pay attention to. I mean, uh, uh, I saw into it's a little bit old, but even just five months after when they switched over to Fo to Fox, there was an eighty five percent increase in viewership year over year. So just that alone showed me that hey, maybe the move to Fox was definitely uh, beneficial. Also, one thing that I noticed with that is, I mean, Fox a local channel, right? A lot of us can get it on over the air and don't even need to kind of be paying for a cable network provider. So I think this definitely helps it with viewership because I mean, you can't get ESPN over the air. Let's just say that like right off the back. Um, so I think that is definitely one thing that's going to help uh, the PBA in the long term. Yeah, right. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Let's get into a next question. Next question I have here is going to be more long on your expansion or how you guys want to keep growing. So one of the things mm -hmm. that I'm focusing on is, are you guys looking more at expansion in locations or is the battle more to focus on the top stores, the top locations and try to get some more revenue from those locations? So the good news for us is that we can do all of the above. So, you know, we have been, you know, I would say from 2013, when we acquired AMF, the first year or so, you know, was really a sort of breakneck turnaround. But, you know, coming out of that beginning in 2014 and running right up through today, we've had the ability to drive very significant returns by investing capital in our existing store base. So, you know, high 30s percent type returns from investing and driving higher revenue and higher EBITDA out of the existing locations. And what's nice about that is, well, there's really two things. One is we've only done 120. So there are still a lot that we can do. So there's a lot of opportunity to continue to do that. And that's all real estate that is currently under our control. We know the buildings, they're already bowling centers. So you don't have to spend you know, money to bring up basic infrastructure. And you don't have to rely on, you know, waiting for a mall developer to deliver space or any of those sort of problems that, that frankly, any other hospitality company out there tends to have um, when you're investing in your existing center base. Then the second thing that we're doing is growing new units where we are going into, uh, they're not really greenfield because they tend to be second use locations, but, you know, where we're going in and building a bowling center from scratch. And we've done a number of those. And those have also been 
hugely successful and driven mid thirties type returns. Then the third leg on that stool is to be acquisitive. So we talked at the, at the beginning about the fragmentation of the Boeing industry and how that's a big advantage for us. And it absolutely is. So, you know, you've got most 3,500 mom and pop Boeing centers out there that we are, you know, actively combing through the country and finding, you know, the best centers out there and, and looking to acquire those. So, you know, there's, there's a ton of those one-off opportunities. Uh, we closed one yesterday in Harvest Park, California. So, you know, these are, um, these are deals that we're doing, you know, very much on a recurring basis. And then where the opportunity exists doing the, the chain deals. So, you know, we announced in May that we're acquiring Bull America, which was the only other public bowling company. Um, and that's it's 17 locations in one shot. So that's nice. Um, they all come with the dirt. So, you know, we're excited about sort of the overall prospects um, of what we can do that with that all but one, actually, but, um, you know, the nice geographic overlap, it'll be easy for us to layer it in. And we feel really good about, you know, all of those different vectors of growth. Yeah. And then one thing that at least just to mention, you guys are still sticking to kind of having that AMF kind of strategy where that's kind of more your regular bowling than Bolero going uh, to stay kind of more that entertainment kind of perspective, not the focus into the sport. Um, that's still the strategy, right? Moving forward, right? It is. You know, it's interesting, though. What, what we've learned over time is that we can be less and less dogmatic about that than we thought. And that, you know, there are ways to do leagues in experiential centers where they can happily and easily coexist with event and retail guests. And that, are, you know, what we call fun leagues where, you know, it's generally a shorter season uh, and it's, you know, could be, you know, guys like you and me after work. We have a team and we go and, you know, we're interested in bowling and trying to win, but we're also interested in eating wings and drinking beer and having fun and listening to music. Um, so it works well uh, with the others. And then, you know, also that if you make an AMF center nicer, that doesn't turn off the league bowler, but does make the center fall within the consideration set of more retail and event guests. So you can, you can find the right equilibrium and it's not necessarily a light switch. It's more of a reset. Definitely. Now the last question, at least from uh, the expansion that I want to ask is I did see most, mostly it's in the United States. How's mm -hmm. the international expansion uh, looking? I know that we have some in Mexico, looks like yep. seven in Mexico, two in Canada. How mm -hmm. could we see this further expand? So those two markets, you know, we're already there. Right. So mm -hmm. Canada is very similar to the U.S. Obviously, geographic adjacency is easy. Um, I think there's, you know, meaningful opportunity to grow there. And that's a place where we would be comfortable putting our own dollars to work. Mexico, while rule of law is generally somewhat different from the U.S., since we have a larger footprint there, we do have a, a local corporate presence that, you know, could be leveraged to be substantially larger. Um, so again, that's a market where we could invest more. You know, it's a, it's a large country. It has a large and growing middle class. And, you know, I think there's real opportunities for us. And, and again, we could put our own dollars to work. Then if you start thinking more globally and, and you get into the idea of, you know, 20 hour plane flight away, those are markets that we're more likely to get excited about on, <clears throat> excuse me, on a licensing basis where we find a local partner and we provide the brand and the marketing and support 
um, to help them stand it up. And then, you know, they, they are the, the capital owner in a given market. And there's already quite a bit of interest in bowling in Southeast Asia, places like South Korea, um, and then in Northern Central Europe. Um, and then the Middle East obviously has a lot of um, attraction to Americana. So I think it's, it's something that could do well there. Yeah, licensing awesome. licensing potential definitely there. Uh, let's get into some of the profitability here. I'm pulling up the slide 23, uh, looking at the top tier profitability. This is talking about 2019 EBITDA margins. Um, what I would really compare you guys to, and it's, it's kind of, I know it's not easy um, not having another public uh, bowling company, but I'd probably go towards Top Golf. Top Golf here in the 16 percentage. Uh, you guys going up to 29. The reason why at least Top Golf is that can kind of relate it towards a sport, and then I could be seeing how that could be a little bit closer. Entertainment also coming in with that. Um, so, what are you feeling here? I mean, you guys are definitely leading here in this area, and I mean, how, how are you guys able to accomplish a 29 percent EBITDA margin here? Yeah, so we've got really strong margins and, and we continue to push those margins higher. You know, we're looking for EBITDA margins north of 30% going forward, store level margins north of 38%. I mean, so this is a really, really profitable business. Um, you know, part of that comes from the fundamentals of bowling on its own, which is that, you know, the significant majority of our revenue comes from bowling, shoes, and arcade, which are all enormously profitable lines of business, particularly bowling and shoes, which has essentially zero variable cost. And then we also exist on a somewhat labor light model. I mean, if you think about what the experience is, when you come into one of our centers, you, you come to the front desk, you get assigned to a lane, you go to a lane, you probably interact with a server. And then two hours later, you come up and you pay and you leave. It's not like you know, a, a theme park where they have to have an army of teenagers at every entrance and exit and lifeguard stand, right? And, and there's all this exposure to labor, we just don't have it. But I think you're on the right track thinking about Topgolf because, you know, that's a, that's a reimagination of a traditional sport in a way that makes it fun and accessible to a broader audience and lets you charge higher prices and generate higher revenue. I think the big difference between us and them are twofold. One, you know, from a return standpoint, it costs a lot of money to build one of those things. They have large parcels and they build very large buildings and it's very expensive. And then two, you know, if you walk around in one of their locations versus one of ours, their labor exposure is substantially higher than ours. And I think that's where you see the big differentiation in terms of margins. Definitely, definitely. I think you guys are both building up the experience aspect also. So to have that better experience when you go to do these sports, building that family time also, I, I've seen um, definitely going further and further into that. So, hey, who knows? Um, definitely the, the future is there and present. I mean, bowling, I think, I mean, I think everybody can remember a time that they've gone bowling. So let's go ahead and let's uh, ask some chat questions. Now we love to ask some qu uh, questions from our chat. Chris, what do we got? It, you know, Mitch, a lot of our chat questions got covered by your great questions there. A lot of talks okay. about, you know, uh, <laughs> expansion plans for M&A. Um, so I think we got into that. But Brett, I, I've got this great question for you. From the chat from David Lynn, he wants to know what is Brett's bowling average? Mm. 
So I, I'm coming off a long-term here. back injury, so I'm 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 not an excellent bowler. I will say that, but it's it would be in the the mid to upper 100s. Okay. Okay. I think I was low 100s when I was. Well, and I I heard a little bit of your banter uh, about this earlier. And and I definitely am am much more of the throw it hard down the middle school. Yes. Uh, If nothing else, the explosive sound of having thrown the ball really hard is is quite entertaining. The the analytics, right? You you look at your speed. You're like, did I get faster? Did I get slower? (laughs) Can can I get it over that? That's that's right. See, but what's it? What's great about bowling, you know, and a company like Bolero, right, is even if you don't bowl a 300, you you still have fun. And and that's what I remember, you know, as Mitch said, we can all remember a time we went bowling. And I remember, you know, going with friends as a kid, uh, going with my family, you know, now as an adult. And like each time you're drawn to that memory and also, you know, you you can have drinks, you can eat food, you can, you know, just hang out and, and you know, it doesn't really matter what your score is unless, of course, if you're playing league or if you're, you know, uh, uh, betting on scores. But otherwise, you know, you're, you're having fun. So uh, but thanks for answering that great question from David in the chat. Uh, I, I think that's going to do it for our questions then. Uh, joining us on the show, guys, Brett Parker, the president and CFO of Bolero, that company going public via SPAC with ISIS Acquisition Corp, ISOS. New ticker after the merger will be the very exciting Bowl, B-O-W-L. Brett, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us on Spax Attack today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mitch. It was great. Good speaking with you guys. Thank you. Take care. All right. There you guys have it there. A, a bowling SPAC. Some people would have probably knocked us for going to this company, but instead, I think Chris and I did great by going to this company because at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we're all looking for those reopening plays right now, companies that we can invest that will do good in the long run. So I think this is definitely one to bring into that topic of reopening plays. And as you can see, if they're going to be at an EBITDA margin higher than 30 compared to companies like AMC, Top Golf. Dave and Buster's, um, and even casual dining. I mean, EBITDA is what we're trying to follow, right? We're trying to get that profitability, right? And so let's focus on that. Let's see how these really kind of things go into that first earnings. I definitely will be paying attention towards that earnings call. And I think this is going to be something to watch. Yeah, you know, Mitch, I we talked before the show, right? And the things that excited me, he hit on all those points, right? You got the media with the PBA. You got a Netflix docu-series coming out. You got sports betting. I mean, we talk sports betting all the time, Mitch, right? If they can partner with someone to do sports betting, you know, in their locations, they also can sell the rights to the sports betting for for the PBA. And, and also the comparisons to, to top to top golf, right? Again, as I said, you go and you have a fun time, right? And you you have drinks, you eat food, you hang out with your friends or your family. That they're going to be able to expand on that, right? It's not just going to be bowling alley. Come in, get your shoes, bowl your game, head on out, right? You're going to hang out. You're going to spend money while you're there. Um, and, and I think that's going to drive the growth profile. So you know, yeah, as, as many people who kind of discredit, you know, a, a bowling company. I, I really like the the growth prospects here, you know, post pandemic, if they can hit on all those areas of media, sports betting and, and gaming, I, I like the profile there. 
Hey, yes. Uh, send me to this one. I don't know where this one's at, but this one looks fun. That looks fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. It has some good lighting. We gotta have a field trip, Mitch. We might have to go bowling when you're when you're here in Michigan. <laughs> Hey, we might have to. We might have to. Uh, Mitch, you're getting called. You're it. getting called out in the chat. Uh, Carl saying, "I bet Mitch can't bowl a 200." <sighs> I, I, you know what? I would call that out. And yo, just you know what, Chris? We might have to make this live. When I get over there in <laughs> Michigan, I'm at the bowl of 200, right? You know what I guys. can say, Mitch? I don't think I've ever bowled over 200. I, I think have. my I think I bowled a, a 199, and I remember being pissed that I did not get <laughs> to 200. So for some reason, that number sticks out in my mind because of how upset I was. So I think my high score is 199. So Carl, yeah, you can call Mitch it. out, but I don't think you're correct. I think he has bowled a 200. Me, on the other hand. 199. I'm ready for it. I, 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 you know what, man? I might have to go bowling this weekend just to show, show the screen, uh, to take a picture <laughs> of that score right quick. No, I, I used to love, I used to love going with some friends. Uh, we used to go on a weekly basis, Wednesday nights, uh, $1 beer. You, you might know why I was there in my college nights. Uh, but $1 beer definitely <laughs> brought me to the, to the lane let's just say by the end of the night there probably wasn't the 200 uh but the early games i used to have fun and, and definitely had some good time bowling and it i paid some good money i mean i used to always try to do um like when they had those discounted times but I, we used to go some other times and man you can easily spend a hundred dollars without even knowing it <laughs> so hey we'll see how these kind of perform let's go ahead and take a look at our watch list what's going on out there I haven't been paying attention to the market. I need to take a look. What's going on out there, guys? You guys see anything that's moving? You I know, I, I I think we got some cannabis news, Mitch, because I see Clever Leaves up on top there. Uh, I think the Senate or the Congress once again talking uh, uh, about, you know, pushing for decriminalization and for federal legalization. Those two things, obviously, huge catalysts. For the cannabis market and clever leaves, you know, remember when we had him on, Kyle said, if we can federally legalize marijuana here in the U.S., clever leaves is going to enter and tackle this market. So uh, no surprise that it's up double digits today on that news. Also, Carl saying Tilray beat estimates. So, yeah, there's a lot of optimism right now in cannabis. You've got strong earnings and you've got the the news from the government. So uh, exciting times possibly there. High times ahead, Mitch, right? Is that Our what we say? trader, bowling 400. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, bowling that 420, blind. I know what you're bowling. <laughs> I know what you're bowling. I know what kind of gutters you're trying he's to get He's buying into. them cannabis stocks today, so then he's bowling a 420. He's I got agree. high times. Uh, I'm still thinking cannabis is the big year 2022. One yep. of the things is I think it's just going to be talks going into the next year. Then next year, you'll start getting that focus on how can we bring money back to the economy? I think that's how you start bringing money back to the economy. And then the focus really will be, will it be decriminalization or are we going to go for federally uh, legal? And the big difference between both of those is one word and one word only taxes. That's the only difference there, Chris. We both know what it is. Uncle Sam wants his little cut. He wants his cut. He's tired of watching <laughs> everyone else uh, make that money. So uh, Uncle Sam, Sam, Sam said, wants a on. piece of that pie. Yeah. Hold on. We, 
we stopped the dealer on the corner. Why aren't we getting a piece of this? Yeah. So I think that's what's going to happen here. But the battle will be really at that point. I think, Chris, is do states even want it to be federally legal? I can tell you right now, I don't think Colorado state-wise wants federally legalized cannabis because what that could potentially do is we are already taxed heavily in Colorado. I think in Denver, it's as high as like 29%. Uh, Colorado Springs, you're looking at like 23%. But I mean, if we increase more tax on that, we're looking to move towards 40% tax. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to be taxed on anything at 40%. So I think this is going to be massively important for the industry because as that increases, as that tax increases, what it does is that it actually takes away purchasing purchasing power from the consumer. And so the consumer is no longer able to purchase as much as they want because the taxes are so high. So I, I could go on all day about this. I mean, I've had great conversations. Maybe one day we can get into an in-depth conversation about that, Chris. But it, it's definitely a battle. Because there's some positives and negatives, and then state by state, it changes too. Because let's say uh, a a market like Las Vegas, where it's really, really expensive, a federally legalized market could end up knocking those companies down because then they couldn't be able to probably sell at that same price. Because guess what? Now I can transfer my cannabis from Colorado and just drive it over the state line and get it over to – of Vegas, and then the prices change. There's so much to this, guys. I could go on and on and on. Yeah, uh, you know, a big topic. And as you said, I think 2022, the big year for it. Um, but I think we're going to see cannabis stocks, you know, trade positively over the next couple of days. But then again, be cautious, everyone out there, because there is the chance, again, that these talks do not end up happening and, and then they could fall right back down. So cannabis stocks typically trade, you know, heavily, heavily on that news item. So, yeah, heavy taxes out there. Uh, you know, that that's a whole nother conversation someday, too, right? Breath. That's you a know, deep it, breath on those taxes. Mitch, as a sports fan, that's one of the conversations that I, I'm always interested in is it's like when player X decides to play for team a over team b he gets paid more by team a but if he would have gone with team b he would have kept more money because the taxes are lower why you think florida and california be 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 pushing man yeah why yeah. you think they be pushing they know what they're doing <laughs> yeah especially florida teams i mean State by state tax advantages are are definitely important to pay attention to. I think that definitely plays into the overall cannabis move. Um, but FFIE, man, up 5.6%, bouncing back at least. Um, that one went as low as almost $10 yesterday. I think the low was $10.24, Chris, already back to $12.07. Yeah, definitely. Mitch, you want to hear what stock I bought yesterday? What did you get, my friend? I finally did it. SoFi. 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 All right. I see you. I see I you. Think we're gonna get that, I think we're going to get that bank charter later this year. Uh, we hit new 52 week lows. So if you look at that chart, Mitch, the 52 week low is $14.72. Do you want to know what my buy in was? Guess who has uh, the horizontal right on that? <laughs> Do you want to know what my. Get? 1475. Oh, 
not bad, my friend. I love it. I love it. Love when you attack the lows. And really what you did here is also without probably even knowing it, you attack the monthly low there. There's there's kind of this uptrending line that you could draw here um, from this moment here. And you can see how it keeps uptrending, uptrending. Now, the real question is, can we hold that line now, get back above 15s and then start getting back towards the 20? The monthly look looks great there. Multiple lows have come to this area and it has bounced off this area before. So let's see how that kind of holds up and continues moving in the next month. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Let's go ahead. We're going to wrap up here. Uh, I wanted to take a quick look at Lucid before we got out of here. I know I called it out on a little push out earlier today. Let's see what happened with it and, and what, what really went on. So I, I, I called it out on our, our kind of live trading show that we've been doing that it was stuck in this uh, symmetrical triangle. And as you can see, it definitely broke out of that, but didn't continue the move. And so with that being said, I mean, I think we're seeing closer pullbacks towards 25 which isn't really a problem I've talked about on the daily chart. As long as we can hold 25, it really is not a bad look. You see how we're just kind of chopping around lately. We've gone sideways. That's not a bad thing. As long as we aren't breaking down through this kind of 24 look, that it's still in a sideways bullish trend in my eyes here. I'm going to keep watching this one, uh, LCID. I think eventually if it can keep holding this, Build some volume, build some volume, maybe do a little fake out towards 25, then get back above 26. I think this one could get moving. All right, that's going to do it for us. Up next, you got the power hour. Guys, do not miss the power hour. That's where the hype meets the stocks. You got hot stocks, Luke's back. Hot stock, Luke is back. Yes, yes. Ring the alarm. Ring the alarm. Ring the, ring, the, ring the alarm. You mean sound that air horn? I think that's sound what we that do for Luke, horn. right? Bring the energy <laughs> drinks because you'll need it to catch up to my man, Luke, because that man has energy drinks flowing through his veins. That man knows how to breathe. That man knows how to do it. And I'll tell you what, check out Hot Stucks Luke's coming up next. We'll see you guys next. Bye, everyone. Spags Attack tomorrow. Oh!